Here we are, live and in person. Got a good lesson today. You know why? It's from the words of Jesus. Oh, yeah. What did he have to say about living life? Because that's what we're going to see today. What Jesus said, he's going to give us some lessons for living. Now, that's important. You know why? Because we're all living. And if we're going to live, I'd say we need some lessons. And as I look at the world, a lot of people need lessons. Most of the people that are alive today, they need some lessons on how to live. Today we're in Mark chapter 2, and what we're doing in this series, kind of a unique series, we're going through, not the whole chapter, maybe, I don't know, but we're going through some chapters in the Gospel of Mark, and we're only looking at the things that Jesus said. Yes, there's some commentary around them to explain why he said what he said, but we're looking at the words in red. You ever just, and that's a good activity. It's time, sometime, pick up your Bible and grab a gospel and just read the things that Jesus said. Wow. So today we arrive at Mark chapter 2. As I said, Jesus gives instructions for living, how to live. Man, we certainly need instructions on how to live, don't we? Oh, yeah. Everybody does. Now, last time we noted that he he began his ministry preaching repentance and the kingdom of God. That was the, the thrust of what he was saying. People need to repent. That means change their minds. And also, he talked about the good news. Oh, the good news of the kingdom. There's no news that's better than the news of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus had just returned to his hometown You know what that is? Capernaum. He was residing at Simon Peter's house, so I guess they kind of lived in the same town. And a crowd gathered. Oh, it was so large that there was no room to get into the house. It just surrounded the house. And what happened was some men brought a paralyzed friend to be healed by Jesus, but they couldn't get in the house. Too many people. So you know what they did? They went up on the roof. And they kind of made a hole in the roof. And they let him down through the opening that they made. Now, in chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus saw the faith of the men. And here's the first thing that he said. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. He said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Now, wait a minute. He's coming down for healing. And Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiving. And you know what's interesting? Whenever Jesus did something good, there was always someone around who said it was bad. (laughs) That ever happened to you? You did something good and somebody said it was bad? Oh, you just did that because, you know, they questioned your motives. So, who was he to forgive sins? That's what they were saying, the scribes. Who's this guy? Who does he think he is that he can forgive somebody's sins? Now, why were the scribes there? Well, there was this council called the Sanhedrin. They were a Jewish council. 
and their job was to watch over the orthodoxy of Judaism. So they sent out the scribes as a sort of a scouting party to investigate this Jesus, this new guy in town. Who's this, who's this new guy coming, bringing these messages and, and doing these things? So they obviously got to the house early because they had a front row seat to Jesus. They beat the crowds, right? See, when you want to do something, you always beat the crowd. All right. So Jesus said to them, here's the next thing he said. After he said, son, your sins are forgiven. The next thing Jesus said was, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Which one do you think is easier? Well, let me explain. The ancient Jews, see, here's was, was, was the way they thought in those days. They linked sin with sickness. That if you had sickness, it's because you had sin. So this guy was sick because he had some kind of sin in his life. And they thought this man could not be cured until his sins were forgiven. Oh, only God can forgive sins. They believe that. This guy, once his sins are forgiven, then he can walk. But only God can forgive sins. That's up to God. So Jesus spoke again in verse 10. He said, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. I'm like, wow. Jesus healed the man to demonstrate that he was God that he was divine, that he worked a miracle to demonstrate he was a miracle worker. And now also it substantiated the fact that he has the authority to forgive sins. So do you get it? By healing the man, Jesus proved himself to be God, the one that they say can forgive sins. Now, you know what happened here. Nobody's clapping. Nope. They're not like, oh yeah, man, this is great. Oh, thank you. No. This thing upset their whole belief system. And and the Jewish leaders, when Jesus did this, I'll tell you something, they had it out for him from that day on. Jesus actually signed his own death warrant that day. The day that he said he forgave the man's sins, even though he healed the guy. I mean, come on. He healed the guy right in front of him. It's like they never saw it. They focused on what he said. Your sins are forgiven. They said, that's it. Only God can forgive sins. Yeah, but only God can heal. Oh, we don't care about that part. So you know what happened? The healer man, he went home. Oh, glorifying God. And now Jesus, he's just like, I'm out of here. And he took a walk down by the beach. And he came to a tax booth. It was manned by a guy named Levi. We know him as Matthew. Okay? Now, we're still in Mark 4, uh, chapter 2. Now we're in ver- verse 14, and Jesus speaks again. Two words that changed a man's life. Imagine that. Imagine you can say two words, and a whole life will change. And you know what I believe? I believe as it happened then, it can happen today as well. And you know what those two words are, Jesus said? Follow me follow me. 
That day, Matthew's life changed. And I'm going to tell you something. You follow Christ, and your life will change too. If you don't, you're going to stay the same old miserable miserable person. (laughs) You will. But if you follow Christ, oh, you will change. And you will change for the better. Now, there's a Greek scholar. His name is A.T. Robertson. And he calls Matthew an unlikely specimen to be a disciple of Jesus. And it's like, yeah, you might think that too. An unlikely specimen. So here we have, uh uh-oh, another strike against Jesus. He ticked off the scribes by saying the man's sins were forgiven. Now he's going to do it again. And you know what he does? He gets around and he chooses a tax collector to be a disciple. Tax collectors were hated by the Jews because they worked for the Romans. But they were Jewish. They were like traitors to their own people. And they enriched themselves doing it. They had no friends but a lot of money. So this tells us something about Jesus. You know what it tells us? He wanted the man that no one else wanted. Think about that. He wanted the man that no one else wanted. How do you think Matthew felt that day when Jesus accepted him? Well, maybe when you were growing up and uh, they were picking up sides on a team, baseball, basketball, football, right? Sandlot ball, right? And how did it feel if you were the one that was never picked or you were picked last? Didn't feel that good. But how did it feel if you were picked like first? Oh, I must be something, because you're accepted. Well, Matthew, that day, everything changed. He was picked first. Oh, for years and years, he was picked last. But today, he was picked first. And then, Jesus did something that blew the minds of the Pharisees. He went to Matthew's house for dinner. (laughs) What? Oh, wait a minute. It's bad enough he picked him as a disciple, right? Now he's going to his house to eat? What? And you know what else? There were other tax collectors there too. Oh, man. (laughs) Jesus knows how to get under the skin of religious people. Now, Matthew knew what meeting Jesus did for him. So you know what he did? He wanted to share it with his friends, his other tax collector friends. Probably all he had for friends was other tax collectors. They only had each other. And he wanted to share Christ with them. See, that's what happens. That's what you do. When you know what Christ has done for you, you want to share him with others. You do. Now, that doesn't mean they'll always accept. I share people with some of my friends, and they're like, get out of my face. (laughs) I pray for them and hope, hope someday they'll come around. Or they'll say, oh, that's nice for you, not for me. Okay. So we pray. We pray God opens their eyes. So Matthew, he invited his friends because he knew what Christ did for his heart. And they couldn't believe that he would do this, go to Matthew's house full of tax collectors, and they questioned Jesus' disciples as to why he would do that. Now, this is interesting. The Pharisees questioned the disciples, but Jesus answers. And he's going to speak again in verse 17. And here's what he said. It is not for those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not call the righteous, but sinners. You see, Matthew and people like him, 
they don't feel mm, comfortable around self-righteous people. People who claim to, you know, have it all together, spiritually superior. That's why the Pharisees, you know what the word means? Separated one. Oh yeah, they separated themselves from the people. They elevated themselves. God didn't elevate them. They elevated themselves. And they separated from the common people, often called the people of the land. So the tax collectors obviously didn't feel comfortable around them. And uh, so many people can feel cut off from society for one of two reasons. Number one, the choices that they make will make them feel cut off. And number two, their lifestyle can make them feel cut off. Okay? So there's people all over the world that are not in the flow of society because of their choices or because of their lifestyle. So they don't, what you would say, fit in. Now, Jesus knows the pain of that. He knows the pain that people feel when they don't fit in to the flow of society. So he comes to heal that broken heart. And you know what he does it with? The oil of acceptance and forgiveness. That's how he does it. Oh, it's magical. It's magical what acceptance and forgiveness will do for someone. There are some people, they're in the worst place in life that they can be, but I'll tell you what. Acceptance and forgiveness, oh, that can go a long way. It could give them a new lease on life. So Jesus is saying, listen, a doctor goes where he's needed. He cannot do anything for those who they don't think they need anything from him. A doctor can't help those that think they're healthy. He can only help those who know they're sick. So Jesus gets around people like that, tax collectors and sinners. They asked Jesus why his disciples did not fast. When John the Baptist's disciples fasted, oh, the Pharisees, right? The separated ones, they fasted. And again, Jesus speaks in verse 19. And I wonder if they even got it. I don't know, probably not. He said, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. What's he saying? Man, we're in a wedding party. We're getting ready to celebrate. We're going to dance to the music. Let's slide the family stone. Come on, we're getting ready for the wedding. Now, in the ancient days, after a wedding, the couple, they didn't go away for honeymoons like we do today, but they opened up their home for a week. And invited guests would come and they would feast and celebrate and have a great time. So this is the picture that Jesus paints of himself while he's here with the disciples. Say, listen, the bride and the bridegroom, we're getting ready to celebrate. And what Jesus tells us is, you, you got to really listen now. He tells us that the characteristic of Christian attitude to life is joy. It's joy. That the Christian should be joyful. Not necessarily happy, because that's based on circumstances, but joyful. That comes from the heart. Remember the Pharisees? They would fast and make themselves look ugly. They would make themselves look hungry. Just so everybody could see that they were fasting. Jesus is like, man, don't be like them. 
Be joyful. You want to, you want to, um, represent God, have joy. Because God is joyful. God is a God of joy. So the discovery of Christ and his presence in our lives should foster a joyous spirit. Do you have joy? Do you have joy? Or did you goggle with pickle juice today? And your face looks like a raisin. No, you have joy because we know who we are in Christ and we know where we're going. So I hope that's true about you. But you know, Jesus, yeah, though it was a time of joy, he wasn't aware of his own death because he did say in the next verse, in verse 20, but the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. They know there's going to be great sorrow when Jesus is crucified. And it'll be different. But right now, it's not a time of sorrow. Now it's a time of joy. Because the bridegroom, Christ, is among us. Now, Jesus gives a practical lesson for everyday life. See, as Christians, you know what we need to do? We need to learn something. We need to learn how to live. Yeah, like how to live every day. You know, like from getting up in the morning to going out to coming home, going to sleep. What do I do with that awaking time? I got to learn how to live properly. And so what do we do? We put on the new. We put the new on the new. We don't put the new on the old. Did you get that? Put the new on the new. Don't put the new on the old. So when you get saved... And God gives you a new, he makes you a new creation. Don't put that new creation in your old ways. Put it for new ways. Now, why do I say that? Because Jesus said in verse 21, Mark chapter 2, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it and the new from the old, and a worse tear results. Right? So if you, I remember when I was a kid, barely, <laughs> and you know, we wore dungarees in those days. We didn't wear jeans. Girls wore jeans. We wore dungarees. And you get a hole in your knee. And my mother would patch the knee. And then like three days later, the patch would tear around the fringe because there was a new patch on old dungarees. So she put a bigger patch. And then a few days later, <laughs> she put a big. I remember one time I had a patch that went from my knee to my ankle. I said, I ain't wearing these anymore. <laughs> because why? It just kept tearing. The, the new, the new patch was too strong for the old garment. And it just ripped at the seam. So Jesus said, listen, you don't do that. I wish my mother read that verse. One little patch, okay, but after a while, I was like, come on. I felt like the tin man walking down the street with those big patches on my calves. So then Jesus, he adds it again, verse 22. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst. It'll burst the skins, and the wine will be lost. It'll go all over the ground. But you put new wine into fresh wineskins. And again, what's he saying? That when they made wineskins and they put wine in it, the wine would expand. And it, when it expanded, the skin would become thin. So you wouldn't reuse it 
and put more wine, new wine, in that old skin? Because when it expanded again, it would burst. So you're always putting new wine in a new skin so it could handle the expanding. So the point is, Christ has come to bring new life to people. Don't restrict yourself to your old ways. Okay? How many, how many people have had bad habits that you kept after salvation? You got saved, but you still got those old ways. Like, are you a know-it-all? Even though you're saved, you can't tell you anything? Are you selfish with your time and possessions, even though you're saved? Are you enjoying the same old addictions, even though you're saved? It's the old cloth, the old wineskin? Are you still under the law, even though you're saved? Are you judgmental of others, even though you're saved? You see, what we were before salvation, the intention is that we pull away from that. And the new goes on the new. The new creation begins to live a new way of life. And yet, how many Christians? I don't know. They're still in the old way of life, even though they're a new creation. And uh, it's never going to work. It doesn't work, and it's not a good testimony. So Christ, he brought a new way. Don't put it in your old life. Put it into your new life. Now, there may be times when you want to patch Patch it up. But you don't need a patch. You need a whole complete garment. Know what I mean? You can't band-aid your problems. You need a complete change. Now, finally, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through some grain fields. And they're hungry. So they begin to pick and eat some corn. Well, the Pharisees saw it. (laughs) Isn't it something? These guys are always showing up. It's like every time they do something, the Pharisees are there to see it. It looks like candid camera, you know. So they said, hey, it's Saturday. You can't be harvesting on the Sabbath. You're breaking the law. And Jesus spoke in verse 25. Have you never read where David, when he was in need, he and his companions, they became hungry. And now we entered the house of God in the time of Ebiathah, the high priest, and he ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. But he gave it to them, those who were with him. See, the showbread in the temple was reserved for the priest. They baked it, they ate it. And we can find this in 1 Samuel 21. But David's men were hungry, so they went to the temple, and Abiathar gave them the bread, because they were hungry. Jesus wants them to know, and he spoke in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to give man a rest. It wasn't made to put man in bondage. The intention of the Sabbath reveals that Christ is really the spiritual rest. Once you're in Christ, that's our rest. And Jesus is showing them that the final judge and the use of all things, it's love. It's not the law. It's love. So the final thing Jesus said was, the Son of Man, oh, I love this, is Lord even of the Sabbath. (laughs) He put himself above the law. Because he was above the law. He was the law. Now, what I want to do really quickly Put all of Jesus' words together, because the things that he said, they're important to him. And as I read them, I want you to see that, hey, they should be important to me. Here's here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2. Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, get up and pick up your pallet and go home. Follow me. It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. No one sows a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, and the new will pull from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Have you never read that David, when he and his men were in need, his companions were hungry, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, but he gave some to him. So the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Oh, the things that Jesus said. Very important. I think it's a good exercise. Grab your Bible. Just read the things that Jesus said, the things in red, and let the Lord speak to your heart. Next time we're together, Mark chapter 3, Jesus talks about Satan. What's he got to say about him? We'll find out next time. Have you joined the Hope Club? Come on now. We can work together on this. You get a devotional in your email Monday through Friday, and we get $3 a week. Every Friday, just send off $3 to our website, newhoperadio.live. That's where you go. Click the menu bar, and you'll read about joining the Hope Club and just make a commitment, an honorary, honest commitment. We don't check. I don't follow up. And we're going to send you that email every Monday through Friday help you to grow in Christ, and you'll help us to stay on the air as well. Okay? Thanks for coming along. We'll see you next time.